You're listening to a special edition of My Safe LA's Fire and Life Safety Podcast, remembering the Northridge earthquake 20 years later. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another of our special My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety Podcasts, where we've been remembering the Northridge earthquake 20 years later. I'm Todd Lights, the public information officer for My Safe LA. And I'm talking today to Jason Johnson. He's a Los Angeles Fire Department firefighter paramedic, 23 years on the job. And uh, really, he was uh, kind of a young firefighter when the Northridge earthquake hit on January 17th, 1994 at 4.30 in the morning. Jason, thanks for joining us. Uh, Where were you that day? Where were you stationed? And uh, how did that all go for you? Todd, thank you for having me. Um, I was assigned to Fire Station 34, which is in the South Central Los Angeles area, now called the South Los Angeles area off of Exposition and uh, Jefferson, not far from Crenshaw, considerably a distance away from Northridge, but still struck pretty heavily with damage. So you you were not actually in quarters, uh, in bed, like a lot of uh, people were that morning. You were actually out on the job uh, on another incident. Yes, I was. Um, 34s was part of a great alarm assignment for a structure fire on Venice, Venice Boulevard. We had actually finished overhaul and been there all night, very tired, and we were heading back to quarters. Um, I was looking forward to getting some sleep. While heading back to our fire station, I actually started to doze off in my jump seat, and it felt like Engine 34 hit a large pothole. The whole fire engine actually rolled, and um, I thought we either hit something or hit a pothole. And as I opened my eyes, I could literally see the city of Los Angeles going pitch black, grid by grid. And those were the electrical grids going out. And concurrently of seeing that, I saw explosions, and I thought for a brief moment that we were being bombed. And suddenly what I realized was those were the transformers from the power poles that were falling, causing these explosions. I've never seen anything like that. And quite frankly, um, I'll never forget it. So once you guys uh, kind of realized what was going on, uh, did you get a call on the radio to report to any specific area? I was just off of probation by a couple of years. I was a pretty new firefighter. I came on the job in um, 1991, so about three years on the job. And we have practice what's called earthquake protocol. Back then, if the department um, went into the earthquake mode, we would drive our first in and report back to our battalion chief. You know, each station would report back if there was any damage or any injury. We went into earthquake mode and we could tell then in South Los Angeles, and that's called the Lamert Park area. Of all the damage, a lot of masonry, um, chimneys fell, foundations shook, and literally there were some houses that you can look at them and see them swaying to the side. We didn't know at that time where the epicenter was, but we knew that we had a pretty substantial earthquake. So there's quite a bit of damage quite a ways away from the epicenter itself. Uh, Did you guys stay in your district or did you um, head out to the valley or where did you guys end up going? There was significant damage to the Lamert Park area, that we actually had a command post there to um, assess the damage and check back with the battalion chief, who would then check back with the division chief, 
And we did not know how to really react at that time. Um, one of the effects of an earthquake is what I call the disaster after the disaster. Back then, we didn't have nearly the consciousness we have now about earthquake preparedness, strapping down our hot water heaters, how to shut off our utilities. So a lot of homes were caught unprepared. After the earthquake, many homes had hot water heaters that weren't strapped down properly. By not being strapped down properly, they fell to the side, causing a a break in the gas lines. Those went undetected for many homes for some time. A lot of people were scared. They left their home, but they didn't shut their utilities off. By gas escaping in the home, eventually it found a source of ignition, and we had many fires a day, two days, three days later because of gas leaks. One of the things I tell my own family and friends, learn how to shut your utilities off because the earthquake may not take your home, but the fire afterwards or the flood afterwards may. That's an excellent point. And, you know, as, as you mentioned um, before we started recording, uh, early 90s was a, a, a very, let's just say, unsettled time in Los Angeles, both, uh, you know, in society and also with our weather patterns and stuff. We had numerous disasters, and we were two years out of the riots at that point. Was, was there any concern uh, from you guys that, you know, with, with the power going out and a disaster-type situation that there was going to be uh, civil unrest, looting, uh, lawlessness, or anything, any kind of anarchy and chaos like that? Actually, one thing I learned on the job is disaster brings out the best in us, and it brings out the worst in us. My first five years on the job, you're right, we had um, the civil unrest with the Rodney King decisions. We also had the uh, Malibu brush fire. We had flooding from El Nino, and we also had, um, the other, what's the other? We had Those the, uh, wildfires of 93. The uh, Malibu fires. Everywhere, just about. Correct. So it actually felt like, here we go again. Now, the really cool thing was I saw our department respond, react, and it, there is a cathartic feeling when you get to be first in to helping your city get back on its feet. And so we just went did what we were trained to do. Um in the earthquake, uh, the Northridge earthquake, we actually saw citizens and c- civilians step up and help each other. It's like seeing neighbors help each other. And that was a really good feeling. I think that's an excellent point because, you know, the, the fire department has to operate in what's known as degraded mode. Um, there's simply too many, too much damage, uh, especially in the case of Northridge, uh, for you guys to be everywhere to, to, to respond to every everybody's injury or every fire that flares up. People really do, as you said, need to step up. Um, is, is that a big takeaway for you, um, for the fact that we all have a responsibility to step up in the wake of a disaster like this? We live in the second largest city in the country. Los Angeles has approximately 4 million residents. That's documented residents. L.A. County has another 6 million. So altogether, that's 10 million residents depending upon fire departments of less than 3,000 members. Common sense tells me that in time of disaster or adversity, we have to help ourselves. And that goes for my family, your family, senior citizens, children. If we fail to plan, what we're actually doing is planning to fail. That's an excellent point. And that's that really seems to be one of the big takeaways uh, for me um, 
and it's a, it's a message that we we pound in in all of our fire and life safety uh, education is that you've got to make a plan, you've got to practice, you've got to think about what your situation is going to be before disaster strikes or before something happens. For you, what is the big takeaway as as a paramedic? I mean, you know, people are going to get hurt if we if we're talking a, a, an earthquake on the Southern San Andreas Fault. There's going to be scores, if not thousands, of injuries. What should people do now, uh, from your perspective as a firefighter and a paramedic, before the disaster happens? There's many levels of training a person can take. You don't have to be um, a firefighter or a paramedic, but you can learn first aid. You can take a CPR class. You can sign up for CERT. City of Los Angeles offers a class called CERT, Community Emergency Response Team. It teaches neighborhoods, schools, businesses how to respond in time of a disaster. But just in your own home right now, doesn't cost you anything. You could take a plastic bag or a grocery bag, one of the reusable grocery bags. In that bag, put a pair of old tennis shoes, a flashlight, and a whistle. They had an earthquake in Beijing, China. I mean, not Beijing, but the Sichuan region of China. And a week after the earthquake, they found a 90-year-old woman still alive. And the reason they found her was she had a whistle. As long as you have air in your lungs and can blow a whistle, you have a voice. But if you've been yelling for help for 24 hours, 48, 72, yelling like your life depends on it, you may not have that ability for people to hear you. But if you have air in your lungs, you can blow a whistle. Those three simple things, flashlight, pair of shoes, and a whistle, will allow you to survive, at least give you a chance. Many of our patients after the earthquake had cuts on their feet. If you have a city that has a lot of people with diabetes, get cuts on their feet, those cuts become infected, infections become amputations. So it's not the earthquake that got you, it's the not being prepared for life after the earthquake. And a flashlight. We live in a city that's used to ambient light. You have street lights, car headlights, but if you've ever been in pitch black, and especially when it's almost lawlessness, that could be unnerving. So for me, I'm a father, I have four kids, wife, I have to make sure my family's prepared because if I'm at the fire station or I get called duty, I have to make sure my home is taken care of. So my son, my son is nine, He's very comfortable with the flashlight. Each of my daughters have been trained with backpacks. One of the things I do with my kids is every school year, when we start the school, start back to school, when they get new backpacks, I take the old backpacks and we make disaster kits out of them. We put a pair of old shoes, some clothes, some snacks that they like to eat, something to keep them occupied, maybe um, a picture of the family. Little things like that. And now in this digital era, you can take a jump drive or a USB drive or even on your iPhone or your Android phone and store your documents right there so that if you have to go to FEMA or the government to rebuild, your important documents, your ID, medical card, all that can be digital pictures on your phone and you don't have to carry a big box of, of, of information to evacuate. So there's a lot of advantages now in 2014 that we didn't have back then. It's an excellent point. And, you know, the folks uh, who survived Katrina 
um, found out that they had lost all of their dog. They didn't even have IDs. So that when they went and said, my house was destroyed, people at FEMA would say, hey, I, don't, I can't even prove that you have a house. You know, So it's so important to have those documents, to make that plan in advance, as you say, um, to, to be ready at home, at work, and in your car. Because as we've often said, we don't know when the earthquake's going to hit. You know, with Katrina, at least they had, um, at least they had warning that it was on its way. You know, but we're not going to get a warning. Jason's uh, showing me his phone right now, and he's got um, his wife and his driver's license, his uh, medical card. Very smart, very easy to do, and most of us have our phones near us pretty much at all times. So your phone can become kind of a little bit of an emergency kit, can it? Absolutely. They have learned with Katrina and other episodes of disaster that cell phones may be your best voice. I even have an app on my phone that allows me to press one button that sends out a pre-text message to my family members that says, I'm okay, and through the GPS to let them know where I am. So many of us in Los Angeles um, live in neighborhoods, but we don't necessarily know all our neighbors. Um, how important do you think it is to for folks to kind of get to know their neighbors, know what the resources are in their neighborhood, who's got the generator, things like that? Fences make good neighbors, but not good survivors. I was raised by a mother and a father that taught me that it takes a village to raise a child. And what I realized is it's going to take a village to survive a disaster. Get to know your neighbors, find out your skill sets. Maybe somebody's a retired nurse from the Navy. Maybe somebody's a contractor. Maybe somebody is a paramedic. You never know until you start having these conversations. Somebody may bring the gift of first aid. Somebody else may be able to help repair shelter. Um, it's important that we talk to each other. Um, that person may be the one whose life saves your life. I know that I watched in horror as Katrina unfolded and realized that even in our best efforts, we have to take control or be advocates for ourselves. If my kids look at me after a disaster and say, where are we going? I can't look at a phone and try to call 911. What I have to be able to do is say, I've prepared for this. I have food for us. I have water for us. We have some money. We have all the things that we need. You know, there's basically 10 things that every family should have stored and ready. Money, medication, a tool, something as simple as a crowbar costs you $6 at the hardware store. But I keep a crowbar actually between my mattress and my box spring. Because if the disaster hits just like it did in Northridge, what time did the disaster hit? In Four, uh, 4.31 a.m. 4.31 a.m. Where, where are most people at 4.31 a.m.? Most people are in bed. In bed. So... If the disaster strikes, as it tends to often happen while I'm in bed, I have a tool in my bedroom that I can go through drywall, break glass, pry a door. I tell you, if my son calls for me and I can't get to him, I cannot explain to him why I haven't prepared for this. So disasters already showed us their cards. My job now is to prepare for it and to be able to respond to it. Excellent. Thank you so much. Jason Johnson, LA Fire Department, paramedic, firefighter, 
He's uh, stationed down in the San Pedro area at uh, Fire Station 101. We thank you so much for your insights, for your experience, and your remembrances of the Northridge earthquake 20 years later. Uh, thanks for joining us in this special edition of a My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety podcast. We're remembering the Northridge earthquake 20 years later. And uh, stay tuned for other of these special series of podcasts right here at MySafeLA.org. You've been listening to a My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety podcast. My Safe LA is the public education partner of the Los Angeles Fire Department. Visit us at MySafeLA.org and LAFD.org.